In this episode, we chat with Ron Schneiderman, the CEO of AllTrails, which is the most trusted and used outdoors platform in the world. The company is frequently ranked as a top five health and fitness app and has been downloaded by over 40 million people worldwide. AllTrails has raised over $225 million in funding and is backed by Premira, Spectrum Equity, and others. Prior to joining the company as COO in 2015, Ron was the head of growth at Yelp, and before that was co-founder and CMO of Liptopia. He began his career as a business consultant with Accenture. We hope you enjoy the show. Ron, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Uh, it's a delight to, to be with you. Would love to kick off with your background because you've been part of a lot of cool companies. Liftopia, I think, is super cool. I'm not sure if a lot of folks in our audience will know about that, but you've been at Yelp. Obviously, now you're the CEO at AllTrails. But maybe just tell us a little bit about your background and, and kind of some of the cooler things you've been a part of. Sure. Yeah. And thanks for having me. I'll go way back to when I graduated college. I went to UCLA and I was there from 96 to 2000. And I had every expectation that I would... I'm from the Bay Area. I grew up in the Bay Area. I thought I would move back up here, join a startup. You know, I'd come home during spring break, summer break, and see my, my friends, older brothers and sisters, you know, working out of garages and sleeping on friends' couches and wearing shorts to work. And I loved it. I loved the energy. I thought I would join that. And of course, like by the time I graduated, everything just kind of cratered out and, and suddenly, you know, the, the big 1.0 bubble burst and everything. So I was lost when I did what a lot of kids uh, who don't know what they want to be when they grow up do when they graduate. I went to on-campus recruiting, joined a consulting firm, got totally, you know, sucked in by their pitch that it's going to be super glamorous and you're going to travel the world. And I traveled, but I was traveling to like Erie, Pennsylvania and Irvine and Petaluma, all fine, but that was a grind. I did that for three years, for three years. And by the end of that, I, I realized life's too short to be at a job you hate. I was miserable. It was a good job. I'm grateful for it. I got a rubber stamp, you know, that opened a lot of doors, but I was miserable. And so I was able though to parlay that gig into a role at Hotwire, which back in 2003, 2004 was this really cool you know, sort of startup, a little bit more mature, but online travel, it had that startup vibe, super casual, high energy, every day was different. And I fell in love. I loved it. So I was there for a little bit, learned a little bit about product, started running their biz dev department. And then I thought I would, uh, I would go to B school to learn entrepreneurship. You know, it's kind of funny even saying that in hindsight, but you know, so as a, as a UC kid, I don't know how many of your listeners went to the UC system, but it's really nice when you're in high school, it's one essay and you just check which UCs you want to apply to. And it's like 50 bucks per school. So, you know, I assumed B school would be the same way. And I was so unpleasantly surprised at the sheer volume of essays I needed to write per school, right? So it's like three or four essays per school. So I immediately started procrastinating and in that procrastination, Liftopia was born. And uh, what Liftopia was, it was trying to take the online travel model, get a hotwire online travel site, date specific inventory, you buy it in advance, the more restrictive the ticket, the deeper the discount. I was like, why can't we do this for skiing? Why are they trying to charge the same price every single day, regardless of the snow or price of gas or proximity to a holiday weekend or anything else? Like there should be variability here too. So it started as a research project that I thought I could write some essays about. 
ended up, you know, never applying to B school, but started with Topian. Ran that for about nine years, way better than any MBA program. Learned everything that, because you're doing, you know, if you don't do it, no one else is doing it. So you just have to learn by doing it. And through that process too, you start realizing what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you enjoy doing. Did that for about nine years, which is in startup land. I mean, it takes years off of your life and started a family. And it's just, that was a, it was a lot out of balance. So I took some time off. I went to Yelp. Again, I was fortunate. The, the CEO of Yelp, Jeremy Solomon, he invested in Liptopia. I had some like inroads there. They were trying to do a startup within Yelp to take on OpenTable. And so I was like, all right, cool. I'll, I'll come in and lead growth and try and like kind of instill this growth mindset across Yelp. You know, it sounded like a fun rebound fling. And did that for about a year. And, uh, you know, it just felt too big for me, even though Yelp is, you know, it's, it's a really cool company. I wasn't able to move as fast as I like doing it again through all of these, the accumulation of experiences and, and really just being open and honest, like, where am I good? Where am I at my best? It's definitely like when I'm doing B2C stuff, when I'm doing stuff that I personally want to use as a user, when I'm doing stuff that I like talking about with friends on the weekend, doesn't feel like work. That's my sweet spot. And so as Yelp kind of ran its course, all trails presented itself. It was a six person company. It was, you know, teeny tiny at the time, but the opportunity to go back and do a startup, but not from scratch. You know, that was also a lesson learned. Like having done Liftopia, going to zero to one is something I feel like I never need to do again. It's, you know, <laughs> some people love that, not me. I like hyper growth. So the opportunity to come in, take over. And, you know, see what I can unlock at Altrials was really appealing. And I've been there, you know, almost seven years since. Fantastic. And, and so when you came across Altrails, you said it was, it was presented to you. Was there people, there, there were folks there that you had come into contact with, you heard about it and you said, this is great. I can see how the, we can make this huge. How, how did it all unfold? Yeah. I mean, I thought I was going to go to work at a VC, honestly. Like I was talking to a bunch of VCs, maybe, I'd, you know, go be on the growth side there, value-added services. I knew the founder of Alltrails from Liftopia because Outdoor Tech is pretty small. Alltrails had a winter product called All Snow and they were an affiliate partner of, of Liftopia. So the founder of Alltrails kind of reached out and uh, I didn't give it much, much thought until I kind of started looking at the data the opportunity. I went to Tahoe with my family to, to think it over. And while we were up there, I was trying to find a kid-friendly hike. We had two kids at the time and our youngest was three or so. And we were just trying to find a kid-friendly hike that we hadn't done before. And it was so hard to find something. And that was one of these epiphany moments. Like this is a common use case, right? Like if we can solve this, if, if we can figure out how, gosh, like if we could use technology so that you know, someone like my wife who loves going on hikes whenever I'm doing the leg work, but like, you know, when she's on her own, would could feel confident and empowered to take our kids out, take our dog out, like what an unlock that could be. And that's what got me. It wasn't the state of, of all trails at the time, but it was thinking through what, if we did it right, what it could unlock. Mm -hmm. And so do you immediately, you know, having an entrepreneurial mindset or do you immediately size the market? What's like the the first thing you did is like, it's from an outsider's perspective. If you just think of an app for trails, you don't necessarily think, you know, this is like the next billion dollar idea, but you have a tremendous user base. So how did you kind of size the market or did you even do that initially? You know, so the original agreement from the founder was to grow it and sell it. That was kind of the handshake agreement. He, he had got an opportunity to go be SVP at one of the big delivery companies. So, you know, he wanted to go explore that. 
but he didn't want this thing to just, he didn't want to turn off the lights. So honestly, I wasn't thinking too much about like the true TAM potential. I just knew, again, having done skiing, skiing is niche, but you know, it's also like a multi-billion dollar opportunity when you start unpacking it. And so I knew like we could get to a certain scale. It wasn't until a few years in, and really when, when we started going through the sale process in 2018, I started thinking how much more we could do. Right. And that, that honestly like dictated how we went through the process and who we ended up partnering with back in 2018. And so, you know, maybe what we'll do is we'll transition to your, to your investors here. Cause one of the things we like to ask about is how investors can help provide value, you know, to the companies they invest in beyond, beyond the financial capital. So could you tell us a little bit about your, your investor then, and, and then we'll lead into your investor, your more recent investor. I took over in 2015. September 2015 in 2016, 2017, which is a grind trying to get it to profitability. We made a conscious decision like VCs very much. I know I'm not a huge fan of that model. And if the whole mandate was to grow and sell it, let's you know hold on as much as we can, control our destiny, be able to select ourselves who we want to partner with for that next, the next chapter. So we got to profitability, six-person company, and just grinding every single quarter, just focusing on a different area of the funnel. Like we're going to fix bounce rates, we're going to fix sign-up rates, we're going to fix pro-conversion rate, we're going to try and fix churn, like whatever. Just one big thorny challenge at a time because we were so small. But by 2017, the accumulation of those efforts started to pay off. We hit profitability. 2018, we we kind of started hitting a little escape velocity. And some real momentum started unlocking. And that's when the acquisition offers started coming in. Not a surprise. So it started with one of the big tech companies. They wanted to buy us. And that's where it got me thinking about, again, like, what do I want for all trails? What do I want for my employees? And what do I want for me? And the idea of going and getting absorbed by a big tech company, you know, that just... Again, it, it felt like it would be the end. It felt like we'd be pulling the ripcord too soon. And even looking at some of the strategic acquirers who were interested, I'm sure, you know, again, we're in the outdoor space. So there's a lot of different potential verticals we could go in from a strategic perspective. And even that too, you know, having seen enough acquisitions, I, I mean, I've been in this game since 2001, you know, you see like more often than not, it's sort of the end of the line for the, the acquired company. And so, you know, again, like we weren't done. And so we started changing our focus. A new form of investor was, was brought to my attention that I never even heard of before, which was growth equity. You know, like everyone knows private equity and there's obviously like a lot of, um, you know, assumptions about them. Many of them are, are true. And that's a ton of people with growth equity where something we could get someone, you know, come in, they clean the cap table, they own us, but we share a vision around how we're going to grow. And we started going down that path. And that's where it really got me excited. And that's where my, my thinking started to change. So we were, again, I feel very fortunate. I got to know the folks at Spectrum Equity really well and going through a bunch of light touch points with them first and, and kind of, they were the ones who were sort of getting me to open my eyes to how much bigger this could be, which is, you know, you know, Ron, I, I think you guys might actually be thinking too small about this. Like this could be a global platform. We could get hundreds of millions of people on here that we think this TAM is actually like, pretty massive. And that was, again, the first time we had really started talking about TAM or thinking about TAM at a global scale. The more we started kind of going deep with them, 
also we realized, you know, we, we had shared values, which is key, you know, like we're in the outdoor space, we're a profitable company in the outdoor space. So there's a responsibility that comes with that, which is to give back, to be responsible stewards, right? Like I have three little kids, I'm raising them on the trail. I can't take for granted that the open places where they're growing up will be there for their kids, right? It takes a lot of proactive intentionality and investment and, and protection. And that's a core part of our DNA. And so getting an investor who like understood that too, and wanted to kind of like walk it back as soon as we got, that was key. So what was great in the partnership with Spectrum is that they got a majority control of the company, but I got partners to help me like really chart strategy, chart execution. I was thinking about this this morning, getting ready, you know, kind of doing the mental preparation for this podcast and sort of like, there's like a, one could definitely chart out a quadrant of investors, you know, with two different axes. One is kind of like active versus passive money. And then the other would be sort of like depth of expertise or lack thereof mm-hmm. at Liftopia. And the other piece too, and you, you know, you know this, I'm sure your listeners know this too. The biggest irony of fundraising is uh, when you need money the most, you have the least amount of leverage. And when you just don't need it, you have all the leverage in the world, right? So you really can find the right partner. And so it allowed, again, like going through this in 2018, being profitable, being able to walk away. We had no pressure to sell it. We could have done it the next year, the year after, it just kept going indefinitely. It really gave us the luxury to zero in on that right partner and think long-term around who is going to be the biggest value add for us. And we found it in Spectrum. Well, it's really interesting that it sounds like they truly helped you think in a different light. Think about the, the business and the potential that it had which is tremendous, like to, to actually switch gears and, and, and then say like, hold on, we're still in the early innings. We could dramatically scale this. So fast forward till November of last year, you close another round and this one's you know truly sizable. I think it's 150 million from Permira. How did that kind of come about and what was kind of the thought process for taking on another round like that? It's no secret COVID was a big accelerant for us, for the outdoor space. There's nothing else to do, right? Now, for us, like we, we've been seeing these trends since 2010. COVID was an accelerant of this trend line that we've been seeing, which is people reconnecting to nature. But the rate at which it happened over the course of 2020 was pretty astonishing. And then getting into 2021, there were two big questions kind of hanging over our, our head one was, are the folks who signed up, we have, we have a freemium model, right, we monetize via an annual product called All Trails Pro. We're going to rebrand it, but you know, it's an annual subscription. And you know, so the first question was like, of the folks who signed up for our subscription business in 2020, are they going to retain as the world opens up? And then the second question is, uh, so being part of a private equity firm, we look at everything through a cohorted lens. You know, there's, there's like a lot of... Um, business intelligence discipline that they help bring to us and unlock. And, and you know, these cohort views of, of assessing our business are is one of them. So the folks who signed up for a free account in 2020, are they going to convert to pro for about the same rates that we'd seen pre-pandemic? Or are they just going to kind of like fizzle out as the world opens up? By May, June, the answer to both of those questions was a resounding yes. Like it was yes and then some. Our retention rates were even better than it had ever been. We we're getting folks to convert at a higher rate than ever. So again, it was one of those things where it presented opportunities because suddenly we had all the leverage in the world. We had momentum, we had leverage, we had some swagger. And you know, also against the backdrop of all this, we're getting 
inbound acquisition offers. We're getting SPAC offers. There's no way we're going to go public via SPAC. But, you know, sat down with Spectrum in the summer. It's like, you know, we have opportunities here. Like, what do we, what do we want? What do we collectively want? And we all agreed we didn't want to do a change of control. I love our status quo. We have a good thing going on. You can't take it for granted when you have a good board that's collaborative, that's helpful, that opens doors, that helps you be like a best version of yourself. Like that's all good. Why mess that up? Why flip the table over? So we didn't want that, but it would be great if we could depressurize a little bit. And it would be great if we could, you know, get a value-added investor again in that quadrant model, you know, someone who's active, but someone who knows, knows what they're doing. And when we think about all the different growth vectors in front of us, international growth is obviously one of the biggest ones, has been, will continue to be. So we did a really small process, really small, really tight. We talked to, I think, you know, maybe seven or eight firms in total starting in July. You know, we got this deal done with Premiera, you know, effectively like by September, then there's formalities and stuff. But again, it was that same rubric though, it was like, First decision tree, like, do we share values? Like, are we aligned in terms of this need to give back in terms of like how we're going to present ourselves, who we're going to affiliate ourselves with, you know, being the flag bearer for responsible outdoor stewardship and things like that. They were there, which was fantastic. And then where do you think the growth will come from? Are we aligned? Are we torquing the business to satisfy your vision? But we're aligned and we're aligned with Spectrum. We're aligned with the rest of our board. So opportunistically, we did it. The, the, you know, the, the thing I hear from my board all the time is do more faster. They're always just like yelling at us, do more faster, which is great. This was the unlock to do more faster. This was you know, the unlock like tapping another global network. They're based in the UK. They have offices all over Europe and Asia. And so the, uh, the level of expertise we're able to tap into now is, is really impressive. And it's fun. It's unlocking momentum. We haven't talked yet about the actual app, or we, we, we did, but not in depth so that our audience could really understand kind of the value proposition. Maybe if we could just explain what the app does, how people first start using it. Well, sure. why would they put it on their phone? And then why would they upgrade to Pro? So Alltrails is a free app and website that helps people find really great trails all over the world so they can spend more time enjoying the outdoors. And so that's really what we do. We, we connect people to nature. We help them spend more time outside so they can unlock the holistic health benefits that come from time outside, right? So it's not just physical health, but it's the mental health and the emotional health that we think everyone has a right to. And so that's really the why, right? And I think what differentiates us is, is we are actively focusing on sort of new entrants, inclusivity, accessibility, that initial connection point to nature, there's obviously a home for the hardcore users without a doubt. But from a positioning perspective, it's really like trying to get us, we're the anti-metaverse. We want to get as many people out into the real world as we possibly can. And what's really cool about it is, again, the, the barriers to entry are so low. You don't need a, a big purchase upfront of gear, of equipment, of a type of pass or anything like that. It's the opposite of the ski industry. You know, you need information and you need confidence and we can do both. So all of our trail content is free for everyone, 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 everyone. But behind the subscription wall, we have additional functionality. And that's really the, the value-added service that people sign up and pay for. Do you have certain pockets of the country where you have like a lot of users, like maybe comparing the Northeast versus Colorado and the Southwest versus the Pacific Northwest? Is, is there 
just curious because some, you know, some regions are tend to be thought of as more outdoorsy than others. What's been really great to see is pretty evenly distributed. We do have obviously, you know, California is our biggest state, but it's also, you know, the most populous state. Texas, New York, Florida, these are some of our top 10 states as well. So it is like a really nice distribution. And that's what's great about this, you know, like public lands are everywhere. And, and that's not just in this country, too. This is like for the most part across, we have trails in every country in the world at this point, right? There are public lands everywhere. So, so the opportunity for people to go out and spend time with them, again, like they just sometimes need that information to go do it. And so that's what we want to help with, right? We have a ways to go. Like, don't get me wrong. We have a ways to go to keep mapping out the globe, but seeing these kind of pockets outside of the U.S. too, where they're popping up, you know, and, and seeing it again, like places like South Africa and Israel and Malaysia and, you know, Belgium, whatever, like pick the country and, and there's, there's outdoor representation out there, which is fantastic. Well, we're coming up on time here. I'd like to end with a couple questions. I'm particularly interested to hear your responses, given what you've been able to kind of do with your kind of career and with all trails, building it up. Can you tell us about a, a leader that you particularly admire and one that you, you know, maybe channel at times when you're trying to make decisions or, you know, think about certain problems you're trying to solve? I think the tech industry at large gives too much credit to the wins and not enough blame for the losses on, on CEOs, especially those CEOs that put themselves out in the public domain. So I tend to not like put them on the pedestal and emulate them. Once you get behind the curtain, it's a totally different scene, right? So the ones that I love are the ones I get to work with. And that was, again, like through Spectrum and through Premiera, we built out our board of directors with operators as well. It's not just the financial partners, it's operators. So I have the the former CEO of Ancestry.com, Tim Sullivan. I have the COO of Robinhood, Gretchen Howard. And I have the former CEO of Adobe, Bruce Chisholm, all on the board. They're all very different, different, different temperaments, different personality styles and different strengths. But being able to like really learn from their experiences is, again, it's like this ongoing MBA program. So those are the ones I look up to and those are the ones I try and really emulate. And last question, is there a book that you would recommend? It could be something recent that you're reading or it could be something that you know, had a tremendous, profound impact on you as you were kind of you know, going through your career or at any point in your your life? Uh, that's a great question. I like that <laughs> question a lot. Yeah, I love books. I'm definitely more of a reader than like a podcaster or blog, blog reader and stuff. I like paper books too. I guess if I had to pick one for me, it was probably the art of happiness. And I read it at this inflection point where, you know, just coming out of college, getting on, on the career path. And it really forced me to think through like, what do I want? How do I find success? And how do I define happiness versus just simply seeking pleasure in my life and like what are my core values and guiding principles here that's a good book so hopefully uh, some of your your listeners will go out and, and check that one out that's the uh, the dalai lama that's one. the dalai lama yeah, yeah I've, I've read that i know a lot of people have read that and, and so it's a it's, it's great recommendation for the audience well ron thank you so much for taking the time it's it's been a, a true pleasure and i know our audience will find this very insightful my pleasure thank you for having me 